Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Aerospace and Space News Roundup. This for the week of the 3rd to 9th of May 2021. And what a week. Before getting started, I'd like to send a special shout out to our good friends at GoTikonauts and SpaceWatch.Global, two excellent sources of space industry news. This week, we bring you a plethora of launch-related updates, including a funding round from Cast Space, some announcements from OneSpace, a rocket engine test from Jiuzhou Yunjian. But first, Jean will bring us an update on the event that has been captivating the entire world over the last couple of weeks. That is the unplanned or uncontrolled, I should say, re-entry of the Long March 5B. Ladies and gentlemen, we are honored to welcome you aboard the Dongfang Hour. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. Thank you. John, the Long March 5B, everyone has been talking about this on Twitter and on the broader media. So uh, what's uh, what's your take on the Long March 5B situation? Yes, definitely. That was I think that was the event of the week. Um, so let me just rewind and tell the story from the beginning. So 10 days or so ago, we saw um, China launch uh, Long March 5B with on board the core module of the Chinese space station, the Tianhe module. And we did a deep dive into that in last week's episode. So our listeners can check that out if they're interested in that. And so um, just back to um, the rocket, the Long March 5B, as mentioned also last week, this is really a beast of rocket. It's over 800 tons at liftoff. It's able to put 23 tons into low Earth orbit. It's really comparable to a lot of the um, largest operational rockets uh, currently in service at the moment. And so the way it's structured is you have um, four strap-on boosters, which burn liquid kerosene and oxygen. And you also have this huge core stage, which burns liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen. And on top of that core stage, you have basically the the payload bay, and that's where you had the Tianhe core module. And so this rocket, the Long March 5B, last week, it took the Tianhe module into space. And since there was no upper stage, it was this core stage that actually took the module into low Earth orbit. And what happened is that this leaves the core stage then stranded into, um, you know, in low Earth orbit. And since it's rather low altitude in low Earth orbit, there's still some atmosphere. And that means that um, this core stage is going to enter, uh, you know, multiple uh, decaying orbits and at some point just re-enters into the atmosphere and disintegrates and potentially also could uh, hit the ground or, or, or the ocean. And so... Um, atmospheric entry is actually a really common thing that you see in the space industry. But what is less common maybe is to have such a big piece of space hardware uh, re-enter. And so here I think this core stage was, even though it was, you know, it was empty, didn't have much fuel left inside, it was still at least several uh, dozens of tons. And so that's definitely very big. And the usual good practice the, is that, um, well, there is is to perform a, a controlled re-entry. So it's to do some maneuvers to maximize the chance of the re-entry to take place um, over the ocean, so you don't have any um, people or any property that's harmed. But this rule historically hasn't always been followed. And by the way, it's not even a rule, as mentioned. It's uh, there's no regulation. It's it's more of a good practice. And so that's what happened for Long March 5B. There was no control during the re-entry. The Long March 5B is just not uh, designed for that, uh, as far as I know. And, and so, yeah, so it just uh, entered the atmosphere uh, without any control. The chances, actually, of it hitting 
um, someone, you know, or, or some property or some house are actually quite slim because the earth is covered to a very large, large extent by water. I think it's up to 70 or 71%. And even if it hits land, you know, there's always a very strong percentage that it hits, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, an area with low uh, population density. But again, the chance is non-zero. So definitely we should be looking forward to more controlled re-entries in the future and not uncontrolled re-entries. But uh, just spoilers here. Uh, so this re-entry took place a couple hours ago. This was this morning and uh, things went well. The uh, re-entered over the Indian Ocean. And so uh, the Long March 5e core stage didn't generate any damage. Um, and so what was more interesting perhaps about this event is that it wasn't really the event in itself, but more the reactions that there were to this event there. Um, so there was a, a lot of discussion in Western media on this event, but on the, and on the other hand, on the Chinese side it was literally a, a non-event. So I, I personally follow a lot of uh, Chinese WeChat official accounts. I, I look at Chinese uh, space media and there was literally no discussion on this um, Long March 5B reentry. There was, uh, some brief statements from CNSA 40 hour, 48 hours before discussing, you know, the, their predictions in terms of where this, um, this core stage would re-enter. Um, there was some discussion on Weibo as well, but nothing like literally no discussion at all. It was, it wasn't a big thing at all. And, and on the Western side, on the other hand, you had a lot of media that were playing up this event and with this doomsday approach where some even suggested, you know, wow, Long March 5B could, could hit New York and, and things like that. So, um, so that was, uh, you know, not unlike some, sometimes the approach you see uh, when they discuss near earth objects and asteroids. I guess that's maybe due also to deteriorating Sino US relations. So definitely you have this bias and, and this bias is on both sides. I, as mentioned, I follow a lot of Chinese space news. Um, and uh, when they discuss US, um, space, you also have this bias and, and I'll put a few screenshots to show you what I'm talking about, but, um, Anyway, I think due to the deteriorating relations between U.S. and China, there's a lot of work to be done to get this um, this sort of bias undone. Totally agree. Yeah, and uh, it was certainly a fascinating cultural event this morning, Hong Kong time, when I was sitting here watching on the one side of my screen Elon Musk hosting Saturday Night Live, and on the other side of my screen having my Twitter feed with all these updates of, you know, oh, where's the Long March 5B going to land? And uh, to your point, yeah, sometime around, I think, 11 a.m. or so Hong Kong time, we uh, we found out that there were no Nigerian homes that were destroyed this time by the, the falling rocket, mm. if I recall, it was Nigeria last time. But um, digressing, yeah, really just a, a fascinating uh, cultural event. And I think it's... Um, it's just interesting to see the, the the very wide variety of reactions. So to your point, you had the doomsday articles saying that New York City is going to get leveled by this. You had the articles saying this is a non-event. And then you even had just some space fans on Twitter saying, you know, chill the F out, everyone. This is just a rocket and it's not that big of a deal. And I have to appreciate that. Um, so I guess a, a couple of things that I would I would mention. So I think it's probably in the short term, very relatively bad PR for the Chinese space program in the sense that the Western media has really made this um, correctly seem that China is being somewhat reckless in, in designing rockets that do not have controlled reentry. Um, but I do think that long term, this is a, probably a good thing for the space sector for a couple of reasons. So the first thing I would point out is 
Um, the last couple of weeks, the last 10 days have gotten a lot more people interested in space, I think. Uh, so we've seen a lot of different space personalities that have been interviewed by media around the world over the last couple of weeks. And uh, case in point was about four days ago, I was listening to my Babbage Economist uh, weekly tech podcast, and the first person they interviewed was uh, Andrew Jones. And I was thinking, wow, that voice sounds very familiar. And they say, oh, it's Andrew Jones of uh, Space News. And, well, okay. Um, so yeah, I, again, I think that this uh, this event has brought more kind of general attention to space, and that's probably a good thing. Um, the second point is that it is possible that the negative press coverage will press China to be a little bit more careful with the design of, of future rockets in terms of having controlled reentry. I think that's um, speculative, but you know, it's 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 more likely that they will uh, be more careful than that they will be more reckless because of this. Um, and then finally, a little bit speculative as well, but I, I do think that um, this event may make people a bit more cognizant of the extent to which. Uh, space debris and related issues can be a problem and, and just the extent to which space is hard and that we need to be careful. We need to, you know, kind of cross all of our T's and dot all of our I's and make sure that we're not launching, uh, you know, dozens of tons rockets that don't have any controlled reentry and just praying that they don't land on anyone's house. So, so with that being said, uh, nothing else from my side on the Long March 5B. Uh, Jean, do you want to, uh, go into the next update about the company that has my favorite name of any Chinese commercial space company? Absolutely. So that would be Jojo and Jen that we saw last week. <clears throat> so we saw last week that Jojo and Jen had conducted a hot fire test of their fully assembled Longyun engine. And so the Longyun engine is an 80 ton thrust gas generator cycle engine. It burns liquid methane and liquid oxygen. Uh, and it's one of the two engines that uh, Jojo engine has been developing. The other one being the much lighter thrust of uh, the Lingyun engine, which produces 10 tons of thrust. And that is also a methlox engine. And now there's maybe one technical specification on the Jojo engine engines that's worth mentioning. And that is definitely something that Jojo engine has been playing on a lot in its marketing material, playing it as a, a competitive advantage. And, and that is, uh, well, their ignition system. So they've developed this torch igniter system, um, which is basically the system that triggers the combustion when you're um, in the combustion chamber. Um, and this historically has been done with um, hypergolic fuels, which are components that react spontaneously with each other. And this is what triggers the combustion. Or there's also been historically uh, pyrotechnic charges that trigger the combustion. But this, according to Jojo and Jen, is not great for reusability because, um, well, you know, you need one pyrotechnic charge for each time you restart this engine. And this has to take place multiple times for a reusable rocket. So what Jojo and Jen have developed is um, basically this, well, a mini combustion chamber, basically, which probably burns liquid methane, liquid oxygen, which is, um, you know, the fuel and oxidizer of their engine. And this uh, mini combustion chamber is triggered by a spark plug like you'd have in a car. And this uh, then produces a flame that uh, then is used to trigger the combustion in the main combustion engine where you have the turbo pumps injecting the liquid methane and the liquid oxygen. And that is also, I think, the solution that was uh, selected by SpaceX for their uh, Raptor engine, which is also a Methlox engine. So um, taking a step back now here on the Longyun engine, it is still unclear which, you know, which rocket companies will be using their engine because Jojo engine is, is not a rocket manufacturer. They're a rocket engine pure player such as Aerojet Rocketdyne um, in, in the US. And so, um, and so, yeah, they don't build their own rockets. And, uh, 
80 ton thrust for the long engine, that's quite a bit of thrust. And so far, uh, since, you know, since their rocket is, since their rocket engine is geared for reusability, we can expect to see this long engine on the, you know, on a core stage of a rocket with a cluster like architecture, you know, with five or seven or nine uh, long engines. And considering that each of these engines produce 80 tons of thrust, that is suggestive of a very large, of a quite a large rocket. And so I don't see what that rocket can be at the moment. Um, there's less suspense regarding their smaller Lingyun engine, which produces 10 tons of thrust. We know that um, a Link Space, for example, will be using the Lingyun engine for their VTVL prototype, the RLVT6. And more recently, we saw that uh, Rocket Group, so that's a company, a Chinese company, a uh, Chinese name is Huajianpai. They announced earlier this year that they would use the Lingyun engine from Jojo Ingen to build their rocket, which is called the Darwin 1, which puts about 300 kilograms into low Earth orbit. And they also plan a much larger rocket by 2025. So that rocket could be using the 80-ton thrust long engine, but that uh, remains to be confirmed. That's speculation on my part. So um, so we'll have to wait and see and see who uses uh, the long engine 80-ton thrust uh, engine um, in the end. Kind of a cool name for uh, Rocket Group's rocket, the Darwin One. I suppose the Beagle One would be more appropriate, because if I recall, the Beagle was the ship that Darwin sailed around on. But uh, nonetheless, Darwin One, not bad. So back to Jiuzhou Yunjian. Uh, certainly an interesting development by the company with the least marketable name in Chinese commercial space, uh, Jizij. And so Jizij, I would point out that in contrast to companies like OneSpace, uh, JZYJ, they've had an impressive level of focus over their relatively short corporate life. So basically, you've had a singular focus on building rocket engines and, and of developing innovative technologies to put into rocket engines. And again, if we compare this to, say, OneSpace or or even some of the satellite manufacturers, uh, they've started off doing one thing, like OneSpace wanting to build rockets, and then they've started to try to do, you know, building small satellites or building rocket uh, kind of control systems and, and really trying to do many different things. It, it seems like Jiuzhou Yunjian, uh, really a, a lot of focus on just developing these engines. And this seems to be paying some dividends in the sense that uh, they've been making pretty steady progress over the past year or so in terms of both technological steps being taken and also fundraising. We've seen a couple of fundraising rounds from them over the last, uh, say, six to nine months. And so, um, again, seems that this strategy of uh, very focused on one piece of technology is uh, is an interesting way to do it. One last point from my side that I would like to uh, to bring up is that the Longyun uh, was specifically stated as being compatible with a 3.35 meter diameter rocket uh, in a five engine configuration. And I, I think it's probably not a coincidence that the uh, the ZQ-2 of, of land space and the Long March 7, among other cask rockets, they also have a diameter of 3.35 meters. Um, so it, it, again, certainly an interesting example of a company that has picked one highly specific technology and developed the hell out of it over a few year period. And uh, yeah, now if they can only find a, uh, a more marketable and less awkward English name than the admittedly great Scrabble word. Next time I play Scrabble, I'm going to try to, to pass J-Z-Y-J as a Scrabble word. And if anyone <laughs> says no, um, that that's going to end badly. Um, Okay, so nothing else from uh, from my side on, on Jojo Yunjian. Jean, all good from your side as well? Yep, 
Excellent. So moving on to our third piece of news of the week, and it is yet another commercial launch company related piece of news because, hey, why not have 30 commercial launch companies? Um, so we saw on May 6th, Caspace, which is the uh, launch company of the Chinese Academy of Sciences, uh, announced a 200 million RMB B plus round of funding. And the announcement also noted that the company has raised around 600 million RMB, so almost 100 million US dollars in the past year or so uh, from fun, uh, from financiers such as the Chinese Academy of Sciences, uh, UACO Capital, which is a kind of Guangzhou government uh, fund, uh, as well as Zhongxin, and then the Hunan Aviation and Aerospace Fund, which is something that I would like to do a bit more digging into, because that sounds like a very interesting fund. The article also mentions that Caspace will have their first launch in half two of 2021 of a solid-fueled rocket and that the rocket is part of the CAS's 13th five-year plan in space science and technology projects. And the rocket to be launched in the second half of this year will have a payload to SSO of about 1.5 tons. Um, so I guess I would point out a, a couple of, of takeaways here. So first, we have a lot of money being put into cast space recently. Um, and this is not the only kind of second generation, second tier launch company to be having such a big year. So we've seen Tianbing Aerospace also raise quite a few rounds of funding over the last year. Um, we've certainly talked at, at length about our good friends at, uh, at JZYJ. And uh, you have other companies like Rocket Group that are that are also, you know, start, starting to raise money. So I think the takeaway is that uh, while you have several pretty well-established Chinese commercial launch companies, there's still quite a lot of investor interest in uh, the sort of second generation of launch companies. Um, it's it's hard to know with certainty, uh, but it's probably a safe bet to say that a lot of the future demand for constellations is going to be soaked up by like Calt and Sast and XSpace and China Rocket and Landspace and others, and so it. It kind of makes you wonder to what extent is there going to be a market for all of these relative latecomers. But again, um, we are still seeing hundreds of millions of RMB thrown at these companies, despite the fact that it's, you know, the the 16th uh, commercial launch company to have been established in China. So uh, it will be interesting to see how this all shakes out. But again, a big round of funding for um, for cast space. Uh, so just last point on my side and this kind of. Um, goes back to an earlier point here. So just this idea that certain companies, uh, notably like Jojo Yunjian, they've clearly articulated a unique value proposition. So focusing on engines. Um, whereas you have a, a company like Rocket Group, which is just it's, the analogy that I would give is that it's showing up at a bar uh, with a closing time of midnight at 11.50 p.m. and hoping to get sloshed. I mean, it seems like they're really showing up quite late for this party and they're just hoping that this is all going to work out. And again, I have no reason to believe that that Rocket Group is is you know unable to do what they want to do, but it just seems like there are a lot of of launch companies in China now, and a lot of them have quite a lot of money. Um, and I would last point here would be that with uh, with Cast Space in particular, I think they may have a somewhat better case to make than a lot of the other second generation launch companies in the sense that Caspace has some degree of sort of internal demand with the Chinese Academy of Sciences doing quite a lot of things in this in, in space. And so you could imagine, uh, you know, in the future, if Caspace is indeed, um, you know, manufacturing 30 rockets per year, which is what they, they say they would like to do, um, you could imagine a lot of the Chinese Academy of Sciences requirements for launch being met by um, by Caspace. So, um, John, anything else on your side from uh, from Caspace? No, I think you covered it pretty well, and and I think you you touched a very interesting topic of 
this very crowded um, commercial launch landscape that we have in in China. And speaking of that, we have another piece of news this week that's related. Uh, we heard over the past week in the Chinese media that the company launch company OneSpace was close to raising a new round of funding. And so this seems to confirm the comeback of the company OneSpace, which was rumored to be to a very large extent in dire straits back in 2018 when it failed its first orbital attempt with the launch of the OSM rocket. And so as we reported in Dongfang Hour episode, um, something in early February, um, OneSpace has successfully uh, since then raised a round of funding in September 2020, and then they successfully launched an OSX rocket, a suborbital rocket, that earlier in February this year. And so the fact that apparently, or currently, or in the coming weeks, they are able to raise another round of funding just a mere seven to eight months after their previous round, which was, as mentioned, in September 2020, this shows that there's definitely a renewed attractiveness um, to the company. And so uh, in this media report about this new round of funding or future round of funding, because it hasn't been confirmed just yet, um, there are two things that were interesting. First one is, um, well, the objective of this um, round of funding, apparently this new round of funding will be uh, used to fund the construction of the industrial bases that one space plans in uh, three areas, Beijing, Chongqing, and Xi'an. And secondly, it's that these, uh, this round of funding will also be used to develop the Linglong series of rockets. And so there's apparently the Linglong 1 solid field rockets, and there's the Linglong 2 uh, liquid field rockets. And for those who have been following Chinese space uh, for a while, and you, I mean, you know the background of One Space, this definitely comes as a surprise because One Space was known to be essentially, well, a manufacturer of solid fueled rockets. That's the only thing they went for. And they were actually probably the only, or literally the only Chinese commercial launch companies to go for that strategy. All the other ones, you know, the land spaces, the ice spaces, galactic energy, cast space, all the other ones, basically, they all went for this mix of solid and liquid. And apparently this is going to be the new strategy of one space. So they re so you have the Linglong one family of rockets. There's the one A, which is just a core stage. You have the one B, which is a core stage and two strap on boosters. And you have the one C, which is with four strap on boosters. So uh, this would compose their uh, solid field rocket family. It's probably just a rebadging of the previous their previous solid field rockets that were called OSM, M2, and M4. It was the same idea with adding strap-on boosters and all this being based on their 25-ton and 60-ton uh, thrust solid field rockets, uh, rocket engines. And so there's that. The Linglong 2 rockets, however, there is very little information that's available on this because I, I expect that this is, I mean, this liquid field rockets they're just a ppt so far or you know they're still on the on the drawing board there's not much information on that um so i'm not sure what to make of these evolutions on one space you know on one hand it looks looks good i mean you have one space you have a a company a launch company that has a very ambitious launch roadmap making solid liquid field rockets it's raised multiple rounds of funding it successfully launched the osx suborbital rocket earlier this year it plans to IPO next year on the Chinese starboard in 2022. I mean, I mean, it looks good on paper, but then you have such a crowded, as you mentioned, Blaine, um, the such a crowded Chinese launch landscape, and the fact that one space is really, really a latecomer to this. You know, you have you have land space and ice space potentially testing their medium lift methlocks and reusable rocket this year. You have a galactic energy doing that next year, and you know. And, and one space is just getting started. So what 
what space will be left for those guys in, in a couple of years when their liquid field rocket is ready and considering the, the rocky past that, um, one space has had in the past. You know, I, I don't know if I would bet my money on, on, on the company, but again, I don't know. What, what, what are your thoughts on, on one space plane? What do you put your money on? On the company. Gonna make a bad, gonna make a bad joke here. It's possible that there will be none space for them, uh, by the time they get there. Man, that was, that was not good. So what a <laughs> shocker though. So what one space rising from the dead and, uh, and making an appearance on none other than the official website of the Liangjiang New District, or the Liangjiang New Area, I should say, of Chongqing. Uh, so quite a lot to unpack here. So first, um, big takeaway is, you know, even the most struggling of Chinese commercial space companies can have their renaissance if they can find a, 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 a motivated enough province or city government to be their patron. And in this case, we have the, the district or the new area of, uh, of Yangjiang in Chongqing. And so to give a little bit of context, so Chongqing is, is certainly one of China's mega cities. Uh, it is a provincial level city, which gives it some special uh, administrative abilities relative to other just cities that are, you know, a, a sub provincial level city. Um, and it is the size of Austria in terms of area, which, which is to say it's not really one single city. It's a bunch of, of, constellation of cities. And there's about 30 million people in Chongqing. And uh, it is also smack dab in the middle of China's relatively less developed Western provinces, which has meant that Chongqing has seen a lot of investment over the last five or 10 years as the central government has tried to develop this uh, this Western part of China. And so just to give an example, uh, when Liangjiang new area was established in 2010, it was only the third sub-provincial level new area in China uh, after Binhai in, in Tianjin and after Pudong in, in Shanghai. Uh, probably most of you would have heard of Pudong, although Binhai is, uh, is quite nice also. Uh, that being the case, Liangjiang is, uh, is a very wealthy patron. They have a lot of, uh, I presume they have a lot of money, a lot of resources. And if one were to be looking for uh, for patrons of rocket factories, uh, the Liangjiang new area is not a bad patron to find, which takes us to one space. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting update. They have found, uh, they found their patron in Yangjiang. The move into liquid rockets, I definitely agree, is a very risky one. They are very much a latecomer to, uh, to this game. And funding and support from Yangjiang aside, One Space remains probably the sixth or seventh most well-developed, uh, commercial launch company in China. And others are moving a lot more rapidly in areas that are a lot more well-defined. So again, going back to Jojo Yunjian, they have not really changed their mission since the beginning, which is to say we want to build liquid methylox rockets. I'm also kind of curious about what happened to one space's apparent like satellite manufacturing and other kind of supporting equipment type of businesses that they had put on their website at some point in, I think like 2019, maybe. Um, the press release does note that one space is focusing on electronics and other subsystems level rocket components, but really it, it kind of seems like they're continuing to pivot from one idea to another without a tremendous amount of follow through. And I mean, that could be unfair. I don't, really have a huge amount of insight into the inner goings on of one space. But again, from an outsider perspective, uh, I'm not sure that I would be putting my money on one space necessarily. Um, a couple of final points. It's interesting that the article noted uh, more than 100 million RMB of contracts signed by one space in Q1 2021. Um, so I mean, I guess if we assume something like so 100 million RMB, that's what 15 million US dollars. If we assume a pretty aggressive price of say $5,000 per kilogram to orbit and we say $15 million, what that gets us to uh, 3,000 kilograms 
Sold 3,000 times 5,000. Yeah, should be. Yeah, 3,000 kilograms of, of, of launch capacity sold in Q1. And that's a very, very guessy number, but hey, let's go with it. Another interesting point is that the article did specify the rules by which one space hopes to IPO on the starboard. And so just to give a very little bit of context, the Shanghai starboard is China's sort of like tech and other kind of venture capitalist kind of uh, stock market based in Shanghai. It is an attempt to encourage earlier stage companies that are perhaps a bit riskier to go public. And so the Shanghai Starboard has several different sets of standards which uh, to, to list a company. And a company that wants to list must meet at least one set of these standards. And so in the case of one space, the article notes they would be trying to list under the conditions of a market cap of not less than 1.5 billion RMB, so about 200 and something million US dollars, Operating income in the most recent year of not less than 200 million RMB and a cumulative R&D investment over the last three years of not less than 15% of cumulative operating income over the past three years. So uh, for those of you who are trying to model one space's finances at home, you have a good few things that they are hoping to meet by 2022. And that was a nice uh, update from them. Last thing I would point out, and this is speculation as well, but we have seen over the last couple of years a number of satellite manufacturing efforts or constellations that are based in Chongqing. So the most noteworthy would be Hongyan, the, the constellation of Cask that um, most likely is going to be folded into the Guowang constellation. But you could imagine um, a, a certain amount of localization of demand to the extent that if there are satellites that are going to be launched uh, by companies that are manufacturing them in Chongqing, there may be some preference to launch on one space. I don't know. Um, and again, there's probably going to be a lot of other options to launch on. There'd have to be some pretty epic subsidies by the Chongqing Liangzhang New Area government to, uh, to you know, to get people to launch on one space. But nonetheless, um, could be, could be something. Uh, Jean, anything else from your side on one space? And, and to link one space and Jojo and Jen, I guess one space in order to catch up, um, you know, since they're a latecomer to liquid fueled rockets, they could also purchase uh, directly off the shelf the liquid engines from. From from Jojo and Jen or or you know aerospace propulsion or any other uh, pure player in the aerospace in the uh, you know the rocket engine manufacturing sector. So um, so I guess that's a way also that they can play catch up with the the other rocket companies. That's true. And by that logic, either you or I could go and start a rocket company somewhere in China and then start buying the engines from Jojo Yunjian, possibly trading them in exchange for, you know, English language marketing help. Um, but, but that's that, another story. That would not go very well. <laughs> no, it's another sales pitch for another day. And I do feel like they might be a little bit offended by the extent to which I talk. Uh, crap about their their name, but that's it's all in good fun, and we give them plenty of exposure, I, I suppose, with our our little little group of uh, of of watchers and listeners. So uh, I guess that being said, uh, this has been a pretty busy week in terms of space industry ongoings, and certainly. Um, yeah, I don't know. Any, anything else, John? Are we we all all good? I'm all good. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your kind attention, and uh, we hope to see you next week. I'm Blaine Curcio, uh, joined as always by my co-host Jean Deville, and this has been another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Aerospace and Space News Roundup. Have a good rest of your week. See you next time. Thank you for watching. Bye.